0: Hello lovely people, how are you doing? I hope you're good. So, let me introduce you to today's guest, Nessa Bird. Now, I'll be honest, I've been watching Nessa and her husband at work for a while. They have a restaurant at the end of our road and it's been incredible and exciting to watch them open it and turn it into a destination restaurant. Since we watched Nessa and her husband working all hours to open it, it's appeared on national television, has been voted one of the top six best outdoor eating venues in the UK and received rave reviews. I knew Nessa's story would be fascinating, but I wasn't quite expecting this. Being brave and just taking that leap seems to have taken Nessa exactly where she's meant to be. She's lived in different countries, left jobs when she knew they weren't quite right for her and she trusted herself to take a deep breath ...and seize the day. Then she met her husband and together they've built their own world... ...for their family and for all of us around them... ...serving delicious food and wine. Nessa speaks openly about life as a new mum... ...how they navigated Covid just weeks after opening their business... ...and how they're growing their other restaurant now, Little Shop... ...plus the story of how Nessa got together with Freddie... ...is one of the loveliest I've heard in a long time. Hard work, good food and determination have been the ingredients for a life Nessa loves... And she gives some brilliant advice if you're feeling a little bit stuck. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak to some incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter, or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Nessa Bird. Nessa Bird welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker I am absolutely delighted to have you with me thank you so much for doing this thank you so much for having me I I, yeah I'm thrilled actually like I was saying I'm
1: yeah it's um a lot of what we do um Obviously, Freddie takes the front foot and people ask him a lot. And then when you asked me to do it, I thought this is really nice to be asked from my perspective of where we're at and what we're doing in our lives. So, yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, I should just say, because we've met before in my my other job as um, a journalist, and I... So, and I live I live very close to your restaurant, which we're going to go on and talk about. But I've watched, my husband and I have watched in awe, as, as we've seen you both work so hard. And I know it is the two of you. So while it's been lovely I've interviewed Freddie before, I'm delighted to interview you. So let's begin. <laughs> let's begin. So we, we begin, as ever, with the prologue. Now, you grew up in London. You said you are an only child. Your mum's French and with an English dad.
1: That's correct, yeah. My mum was an au pair and... Um... She, one of the kids she was looking after, um, had a fall. And my mum being very French, as the French do, they have to find out, you know, am I going to be responsible for this child being hurt? So when she took the child to hospital, she met my my dad's mum, my granny, and wow. she said, my son would really like you, and that's sort of how they met.
0: Wow! So hang so, on. Yeah. So, so 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 she took the child to hospital. And met your, yeah, they had a
1: fall. They had I four. Met my, I met my, 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 my granny, so her mother in law. She met her mother in law before she met my dad. My, basically, my granny set them up. Amazing. Um, and what was your granny? Yeah. Do, so, was your granny involved with the child? She was a social worker, she was in oh, hospital working wow. as a social worker, yeah. So, she used to just, yeah. Um, go and see you know various people around the hospital and make sure that everybody was being cared for and um, my mum's the one who approached her
0: oh my goodness me an
1: unusual story,
0: but, but what yeah. an amazing thing so that and then so she set her up with your dad yeah yeah, yeah. oh that's yeah. brilliant wow what a start what a start so you um so you were then so that that was obviously a great setup um and you yes. said so you went to school and you were a year above yourself
1: yeah, so I, did, I I think it was just um, in those days they were maybe a little bit more um, lenient. So my birthday happens to be at the end of September. They got me in. Um, I did my entrance exam, however old I was, I suppose three, um, and I did OK. And they said, well, let's just get her going. Let's get her started. So I started school. I hadn't yet turned four um wow. And um yeah, I, academically I was doing okay, but I just don't think I was mature enough at all. <laughs> so by the time I reached sort of senior school and being, I was second year GCSE. So when it came to a sort of exams and, and senior school, I was yeah, I think I was just a bit, bit of a rebel. I was always questioning why, and I wasn't really getting my head down and 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 doing. Yeah, I don't think I took school very seriously at all. I look at my girls now. My eldest is doing her GCSEs at the moment. I'm in awe of them. I'm in awe of how you know, they just, yeah, they're so diligent and conscientious. And I had none of that. And I, you know, I could, I could chalk it up to many things. But I think the fact that I was maybe a bit young anyway, mm. and I wasn't necessarily taking life very seriously, meant that I kind of cruised through school. Mm.
0: Um, but is that a bad I enjoyed thing? it immensely. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm sure you enjoyed it though, in the, having an attitude like that. I did, and I was a boarder. I was at
1: boarding school. I was a termly boarder, so I'd only come home at X weekends. And I had, um, and I've made um, great friendships. And I was an only child as well. So going to boarding school, um, I made lots of friends who, um, you know, were you know my 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 closest, dearest friends who now in later life and adulthood I consider to be almost sisters. Mm. So yeah, that's that, yeah, really nice.
0: Mm. And did you enjoy boarding school?
1: I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, I was into all sports. Um, I was school athletics captain. I was on all the teams. I got involved in all sorts of drama and yeah, I I, I school plays and all that stuff. And again, being a boarder, you, you live and breathe school. I didn't go home at the weekend. It was always where, where what, what was the school trip? Um, chapel on a Sunday, all that kind of stuff.
0: Wow. And did you have, was there any subjects you particularly liked?
1: Um...
0: You can say no. Oh, <laughs> you can say English. No. So, well, no. Yes, I did. I, I, I loved English,
1: and yeah. and I think that's on the strength of a, an amazing teacher called Dr. Cushing, and she, um, I guess she saw something in me, and she thought that I had a really good creative mind, and that I was able to be. Um, uh, you know just really descriptive and quite passionate in my writing and most of my other teachers just saw me as a bit of a pain so um, <laughs> having a teacher that kind of responded to me and made me think that I could actually be quite good at it and so I, I then went on I, I studied politics at university but then I did a master's in journalism in in Paris so my wow. mum my being French I then went to uni in, in France um, and I think that my desire to write and to, and to do Yeah, to work in that uh, really stemmed from her, from that time when someone said, hey, you're actually quite good at this did you know? Oh I that's know amazing. He's ever told me I was good at something. So yeah, I enjoyed
0: English. I enjoyed English. And you're good at your sports as well. So I would have been in awe I was good I was at, at sports ca- team captains. Yeah. I was always I never got picked for the netball team Nessa, I have to tell you that. So um I was always in awe of anyone who was very good at uh, the, the sports. Yeah I mean that
1: was that was short lived. As soon as I left school i I stopped any sport I wish yeah. I'd carried on now
0: that I'm in my mid forties I understand the yeah. importance of Carrying on. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you're very active which we will go on to we'll go on to so so you went to so were your parents in in England or in France so uh so I was
1: in I was in Surrey I was in leafy Surrey yeah um uh until I was nine
0: yeah and then my yeah.
1: folks got divorced okay my mum moved to Paris yeah um, and as I said I went off to boarding school yeah um, and um, so my mum from yeah so from from that age all the way through senior school I was my mum was in, in France my dad was stayed in Surrey um, and I was away in Lincolnshire and Stamford at wow. a school called Stamford High School
0: wow. um,
1: and and um, and so I would spend my holidays, my mum worked for, for American Airlines, so most of my holidays were spent going to the States with wow. my mum. Wow. Lots of wonderful places to go and see and visit, I felt very lucky. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it really split between the UK and France from the youngest age. And um, never, fe- you know, never feeling like I was out of place, but never feeling like I was quite at home in either.
0: Mm-hmm. So... I understand that. And presumably you spoke amazing French, French then?
1: Yeah, my first language is French, so when I started school, even though I was Born in Wimbledon and, and and started school there, I um didn't I didn't speak any I didn't speak any English when I started preschool.
0: Wow! But that in itself, you know, to have a language like that, I always think is just amazing. So I, I know I do know, and I I've got two young boys and the importance of school, and I do know that. But actually, when you think about it, what you were learning from living in boarding school, from like you obviously you enjoyed your English, but then you had a language already. You were quite, you know, it was already setting you on without just because it wasn't in the confines of the academic system but going on to what you did go on to do you were really having a, a fabulous upbringing for that really
1: I had I, oh I had a wonderful upbringing and I, I I never saw any limits to what I could do or where I would go I was never um I never had any doubt that whatever I wanted to do I would achieve and mm. I, I maybe that's something to do with our generation and maybe it is something to do with being from um Two different countries with different mindsets and also moving around and having people in different parts of the world. I don't know, I always mm-hmm. felt like there was no limits. There was no boundaries or borders to where I might end up or what I might do. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. That's amazing. So you went to university in Paris. I mean, that's exciting as well. And you and, and you did journalism.
1: Yeah, I did communications and journalism. Um, mm-hmm. So I did radio. Uh, I did radio through, through the time that I was at doing my journalism school. <clears throat> I did student radio. And i really enjoyed that and i also was um i was at uni with some absolutely fantastic people who'd come from lots of different universities and different places around france like i said i was in in paris at that point um and uh so i yeah i was just it was it was such an exciting time um i'm in my early 20s i'm living in paris Mm -hmm. um just wonderfully creative and intelligent people um all with different aspiring futures and and some of them wanted to go into music journalism others were um cultural journalists others were in the sciences and there was just yeah I, I think um at that point in my life i thought that i was going to stay in paris and that i was going to become a journalist and that was it you know that's what i wanted and that's what i would do Yeah. Um, and then it actually became very difficult for me to get a paid job so it's very different in france than Mm. it is here so basically you would leave university and you would go into work experience placements and those placements could go from six to 12 months you'd live at home um you'd get tickets restaurants which are like your lunch and vouchers but Mm. that's it right that's it so if you have rent to pay or a life to lead forget it
0: yeah well yeah and in paris as well that's pretty tough
1: (laughs) yeah you know and at this point i'm sort of 24 um, yeah. and i ready to sort of move forward and yeah, yeah. I, so I, I went to university in Canada as well so I did a four-year wow. course anyway so yeah so 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 um, it became difficult for me to earn a living doing what I wanted to do so I actually went over to the communication side of it and I got um, I got a job working in advertising okay. which is actually where I ended up I, I spent a few years my career was in advertising so I worked PR and communications I was managing all of that um, for a big ad agency in Paris, okay. um, over all of their European stuff.
0: Okay. Well, before we get on to that, so you just said though, you went to, you, you just dropped in that you went to university in Canada. Where did you yes. go to university in Canada?
1: So I went to university in Montreal. I went oh, to Concordia.
0: Wow. What, well, that was after Paris? That's before. Wow. So I did a
1: B, I did, I did a BA, mm-hmm. um, and, um, I went to, uh, I didn't get my grades. I was offered a place at Reading and I didn't get my grades. So I went through clearing, went Mm -hmm. on to Swansea. And at Swansea, because I had French as part of my degree, so I was doing a joint joint BA in politics and French, I was offered a year away, which everybody would, Erasmus scheme, Mm -hmm. as was um, pre-Brexit, everybody would do that. Um, And I said, well, I'm French, I've lived in France, my family's there, I'd really like to go somewhere else. And they said well if you want to put your application in independently you can see if you can link in with one of our universities in quebec mm-hmm. um and the business school said okay well you can use our you can use our um our application process and i just i just wrote an application basically asking to have a year in concordia rather than a year in France and they accepted me and that was that I was off.
0: Wow, I bet you were. And what were you studying there? Was that still journalism? Mm-hmm. You say the So no, that work? was
1: politics. That so was my BA is politics, politics in French, and French and then after that that's when I went um over to journalism. So that's when wow. I went to Paris after my four years and did the journalism then.
0: Yeah, what a start though. What a start. So so then you so as you say so you work, work, went into comms and um, so that was in the advertising industry. So where yeah. how how did you get that job um i
1: think it was my english if i'm honest so Mm -hmm. i'm in paris i'm french but i'm fluent english speaker um and i'd worked a lot of jobs so i'd worked at turner broadcasting cnn disney i'd worked in lots of different things on short-term contracts Mm -hmm. um and uh i then was offered a maternity cover uh, for PR manager for Europe for DDB which was the ad agency that I was working for so working with the CEO of Europe um, and doing the PR there wow. um, and that maternity cover became a permanent job um, so I stayed there for three years um, uh, yeah and then and, and, and again it's that thing of um, you know once you're in work Mm-hmm. And you're starting to find your feet and you're, you find pleasure in what you do and you're earning a living and, mm-hmm. and the industry you're mm-hmm. in is fun and the people you're working with are good. You know, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. hard to then walk away from it and say, mm-hmm. well, this isn't really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of get yourself maybe on a bit of a wheel where you think, mm-hmm. oh, OK, well, I'm just going to stick with this. It's fine. Even though there's a few things about it that weren't really for me, mm-hmm. I knew how lucky I was to have sort of landed such a good job i traveled quite a lot um i was doing sort of pr training and stuff going to new york um i was going to the Cannes festival Mm. i was doing lots of really cool fun stuff and again like i say i'm in my early 20s Mm. um and i'm working with interesting people and so everything was kind of good
0: Mm. and did you enjoy the the aspects of the pr work though
1: yeah i um i enjoyed i i really the part of the PR stuff that I liked was working internal comms Mm -hmm. rather than the PR rather than trying to sort of feed information to um, journalists to pick up on outside Mm -hmm. working within a huge advertising network where we had we were in 99 countries um, and working the internal comms and then also doing events so uh, either for clients or for people working within again the agency network bringing them together um, that was really what I enjoyed most mm. um, so hosting I guess yeah if we were to look at it now from where I am now yeah. at my ripe old age of 46 I was hosting things <laughs> yeah and I liked that aspect of it rather than trying to sell stories yes I Which get I that. think to some extent is maybe what PR is
0: yeah yeah because as a journalist we um obviously with PR and you Uh, uh, yeah it is it is that and it's it's a tough job i think pr is a really tough job but that's so interesting that it's so interesting that like you say you would you just by you were drawn to so you would organize events within the company and so would it be like different departments within the company and kind of bringing them together kind of showing everyone what they all do and and communicating with each other is that essentially am i simplifying it
1: that's exactly it so um they kind of went on the basis that you looked at anything that you did within the company and it was all based on people, profit and product and the product were the ads. So you were always communicating about what great ads were out there, what awards you'd won, who'd, who'd, who'd been promoted, who, what new people had arrived into the network um, and then also, you know, how well the company was doing or if there'd been mergers and acquisitions. Um, you know who was who was the new talent who was the new hot shop that we'd brought into the network or so all of that stuff you were you were it was that kind of feel good factor about the this is the company that you're in and you may not know the the other 10,000 people working here but i was always working to try and inform people of what was going on wow. and most importantly, never letting people working within the company find out about something from the company from an outside source. So it going to the outside press or going uh, a campaign coming on the telly with them without them knowing about it first. Yeah. So really yeah, feeling yeah. like you were part of the same the same sort of family or. Wow, yeah,
0: that's amazing. It is like a b- great big family business. Which again, wow, this is amazing because then, so <laughs> you know, as we, I mean, we, we will now move on to your next chapter. But so you were uh, you were in your by this stage what mid twenties, late twenties. Yeah, yeah?
1: I, I think I left DDB. I was t- 27, okay. 28. And what far did far. you do then?
0: Um, I moved to the Caribbean. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't put this in your notes, Nessa. It could have been a different tone. Well, look behind me. Here we are. I love so, it. I um,
1: love it. I, so, I'm, so basically what happened was the CEO of Europe was replaced by somebody in London. So the, the, the headquarters of Europe were in Paris and they moved the headquarters to London. And so the new CEO said, I want my whole team. I'm going to have my ho- whole team that I've worked with for years. So all of the team in Paris were kind of let go of. And I said, do you know what? I'm going to take a pause. And I moved to St. Lucia. And So I bought a horse and a motorbike and I spent six months in St. Lucia, kind of questioning, what am I going to do? You know, again, I was in that thing of, Oh, is this really what I want to be in? Um, came back to Paris, struggled a little bit to find work at that point it's very hard in france people are kind of lifers it's a little Mm. bit more like the 1950s model that we would hear see here or in the states where you go into a company and you stay there because you've got job security Mm. um and france is very much like that it's very it's less of an entrepreneurial um go out there and try it for yourself or move around mindset Mm. um which the UK is very, very good at. So I then thought, okay, well maybe I'll move back to London. At this point I'd been between the Caribbean and my studies and then working at DDB. I'd been there for sort of coming up to six years. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I applied for a few jobs in London and I then moved to London again and I came back to Grey, which is another advertising network, yeah. but I started working for the CEO of Europe, Middle East and Africa. And then I was working on new business. So it was business development. So it was wow. pitching um and going after new clients
0: oh wow just before we go on to that when you were in st lucia we, did you know anyone in st lucia did you just go out there
1: so um my dad had
0: been going out there on holiday
1: uh, for years, yeah. and I'd been out on ho- I'd been out on holiday with him. Yeah. Um. So I kind of knew it, and then I had some friends who came with me originally, and then the people came to see me while I was out there. But no, yeah. I'd originally thought that I was going to go backpacking. I was yeah. going to just go out on my own <clears throat> with a brat backpack, make the most of the fact that my mum worked for an airline company, and that yeah. I could hop on a plane for about ten dollars and go w- what I thought was going to be Central and South America. Um. And after about six weeks in St Lucia, I thought I don't want to. I don't want to move around. I just wanted to go and live something different. I just wanted to go and do something different. Yeah. Um, and I was, and I was, was I was, I was doing also, I was working with people, making jewelry on the beach and then going into all the complexes where they weren't allowed to go and trying to sell jewelry. I was looking after a young girl whose mum was working full time, single mum, a uh, girl Nala. Um, I had my horse. So I was taking tourists out on horseback.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, along the
1: Atlantic coast so I kind of was sort of you know doing lots of new things and very footloose and fancy free but I was living a very different life to the one I'd known until that point and I realized it wasn't so much I wanted to travel yeah but I wanted to just go and do something different and that's exactly what I was doing
0: and was there a whole completely different pace of life out there was it as lovely as you when you go to visit yeah but they they are like that
1: yeah, I mean, I had the best of both worlds. I was the lucky one. I was there because mm. I wanted to be there. But a lot of Islanders are there, and they've got no opportunity to go anywhere else. So mm. <clears throat> there's no um, what you th- what you'd call there's no absolute poverty because you'll always be able to eat. You're all you know. There's always running water, food. There's everything like that. But there is an impossibility for so many of them to ever leave. Mm. The mm. amount of um, hoops that they have to jump through to get a passport is incredible. Mm. Um, so mm. a lot of people would sort of say to me, you know would you go on a boat? Would you go to the island over there? I'd really like to bring back something but i can't get over there or ask you about what's it like in the states what's it like in europe you know i'm hoping i've been trying for the last four years to get a passport because i'd like to go and visit mm-hmm. and it's just a reality that we just don't understand because yeah. you know well you've just as obviously a passport isn't cheap but other than your application for us passport once you have that you have access to go pretty much anywhere yeah. they have to prove that they have they have to prove they don't have diseases they have to prove that they have x amount of money in the bank i mean there's so much that they have to do and get the passport in the first place Mm. which is in itself really tricky to do Mm. before they can even consider buying a plane ticket and going somewhere
0: so completely different side you really did so yeah so so, I mean and again all sort of built what an amazing experience though to see to see that (laughs) I mean just so amazing so 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 then you're back in London you're working for Grays. and so tell me now, I am talking to you, and you are in Bristol, which is where yes. our paths cross. so how yes. what happened next? How did you get from Gray's in London in advertising into your next chapter?
1: I met Freddie Bird. Ah yeah, it's quite simple. I met Freddie. and um, where did you meet? Freddie is originally from Bristol
0: oh, okay, and where did you meet
1: Freddie? I met Freddie in a nightclub in Clapham. <laughs> There's nothing Brilliant. really romantic about it. Love it, um, but I. But it was. Um, it was. You know, it's a funny story. In that I, I, I met him, and um, we chatted, and we didn't exchange numbers. But he did tell me that evening where he worked, and when I went to work on the Monday morning, I thought I'm going to send a card with my number on it, oh, and that's what I you. did. I sent him a. I sent him a postcard. Um, oh with a walrus on the front covering its eyes in embarrassment basically and it just said i think you're lovely and it put my telephone number i didn't sign it i didn't i just thought well just and i got a text message so that was it that was the, that's the beginning of the story i didn't i threw the rule book out of the window
0: quite and right. i thought well i
1: just let this person know i know where they work i know their name yeah. send a card and see what happens
0: Wow Nessa that's amazing see that like all your bravery of going off to all these different places beforehand <laughs> and, it's, and then there you are. The just, oh Sees my god
1: day, yeah. I love that
0: I love that see I write about romance I might have to put that in one of my books one day Nessa I'm gonna i <laughs> ask your permission but what I love that I love that so so uh, Freddie was obviously working as a chef yes and then tomorrow. right right so then mm-hmm. so d- d- how long did you stay in London for? so uh, i was in london for two years
1: right so, so, so london was home to me so like we said at the beginning you know i sort of i'd come back to london at this point yeah <clears throat> and was rediscovering it as an adult really having only been there as a child um so um we we so we moved to Bristol when our eldest, who's yeah. um, now fifteen, was three days old.
0: Wow! So
1: we were living in Shepherd's Bush on the top floor of a of a of a townhouse in a mm-hmm. flat on the top floor of a townhouse, and um, uh, Freddie came to Bristol. He, yeah, he 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 wanted to have um, he wanted to have a life that wasn't the London life, and he mm-hmm. he said that to me early on. And I thought, well, yeah, sure. Bristol's a great city. My sister had gone to university here. Well, my stepsister. So okay. my parents I, yeah. I didn't put that in the early bit, but I, I have two stepsisters. Okay. She was at university here, so I come and visited her. Um, so I knew Bristol a little bit, and then obviously through the years of being with Freddie, I'd come, I'd come to Bristol a few times to see his family and whatnot. So I just thought, yeah, it's a great city. Why not? And at this point, as you've probably gathered, I haven't really settled anywhere no. for very long. I've yeah. moved around a lot. Yeah. So for me, going somewhere new, sure. Let's go somewhere
0: new. Let's yeah. try something new. No problem. Amazing. And that again, that goes to show, doesn't it? Because sometimes, like, we can get too locked into where we are as well, and that can limit us. But with that, with what you have been doing, so you were so open to going to new places and that just then again worked worked really well and so so because you've got you've got three children now haven't you
1: yes you've got three, three children
0: um three lovely children so so that was so that was pretty so when fred freddie moved here he then i know that he worked at the lido but he he basically worked he didn't have his own place then did he he was still working as no right so and so you were at this stage you then carry you were having you know you were also then you were having your babies as well so it must be very. Yeah, long so for you. I
1: kind of walked away. So yeah, so my career just literally went on hold completely, like so many women of yeah. that age. I'm, I'm, I turned thirty. I have a baby, then I have another baby, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so yeah. my, that whole time that I had gone before was sort of on, paused. I worked. It was all about my job and fun, and then yeah. I came to Bristol and I was a mum. I was at home. Freddie was working eighty hours a week. Didn't mm-hmm. see him. Um, and I had to, it was definitely the hardest time because mm. um, I think that kind of freedom that is everything that I had known before that was curtailed mm. and I had to adapt. So I mm. think that was probably the hardest adapting period of my life. Mm. So I was very much alone, but then when Freddie started working at the Lido, so originally he came here to open Bordeaux Key. to be uh, clear, yeah, it was Bordeaux Key. Yeah. it was working with Barney Horton. Yeah. Um, and that's what brought us to Bristol. He was really keen to work with Barney. Um, and then he started the Lido. So he stayed at the Lido for 11 years, Mm. 11 years. And we bought in at the early stages of the Lido, we bought into it very early on when it was a burgeoning small company. Yeah. Um, And it grew. So obviously um, he then took on um, what was the glass boat and there was Spyglass, which became Three Brothers Burgers. And then he went on and opened Thames, lido which is in reading mm-hmm. yeah um and the business was growing and growing and things were good but and this is you know all this is all to, to freddie's credit is that he said why would we want to be small owners of a big pie mm-hmm. why don't we wh- While that's the case we will never be able to plow our way we will never be able to make our own decisions and our own mistakes and really do the thing that we want to do um mm-hmm. And he was right, of course. It, 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 and, and, he, and, and also I should point out, Freddie's five and a half years younger than me. Right. So he at this point was 30, 37, 38. Okay. He hadn't even hit his 40s yet. And he was like, I've got a lot of experience. He'd been working since he was 23. He'd been working at the Lido, like I say, for 11 years. He'd really learnt about starting businesses, evolving, developing all of the elements that you need Uh, I think to be skilled in and knowledgeable in, he had those Mm. and he felt ready Mm. and so that was our that was our leap of faith was Mm. that moment where we said okay we leave a business that is a successful business Mm. to start our own business and it is just us so that that was the moment and that was what four years ago now
0: oh I mean how amazing because also so many people think about it Nessa don't they so many people do do think about doing this kind of thing and never do and then that you just see and then you get this frustration and and okay we're going to talk about it now but you know it's such a, a a positive what you've done has been amazing and you can see it and when you go in there there is this an energy and that you just pick up no matter what it is whether it is restaurants or whether whatever job you do you you feel it don't you you feel it from someone if they are on the right they're doing exactly what they're meant to be doing
1: it's you're you're, you're so right but it's very nice to hear oh um, it it's is. really nice to hear that you you feel it when you come um, to a little shop or to a french um yeah, yeah well you know we we love it mm-hmm. so um it matters mm-hmm. and actually i would say Um, that that's all that matters is if you do want to do something and you really want to do something you have to find a way to get there Um, and it will definitely I mean the most important thing here for me has been having Freddie there who is able to he is definitely more fearless and I'm more risk averse which is funny given everything I've just told you about my life up until that point Mm. but I think um, the younger you are, the easier it is to make changes and just go for things. And then as you get a little bit older and you have responsibilities and children and mortgage and all the other stuff, you kind of go, Woo, really? <laughs> but um, if you if you if you know that you love something and that you're going to work hard at it, then, you know, uh, Freddie would say 90 percent hard work, 10 percent luck. Mm. And I think he's right. And. Mm. Um, it is a lot of hard work but as if you if you love what you do that hard work isn't it's not a burden no. um sometimes no. it feels like a lot um but but you're loving it and you're doing something you want to be doing um i know so many people who are in jobs that they don't like that yeah. they don't enjoy and i think it's the saddest thing yeah um making changes it's almost like you, you can't help but make those changes if you're not happy in what you do you have to find a way yeah. um, be patient because you know you've got to find the right time but you've got to go for it yeah
0: yeah well we uh, that's that's brilliant uh, we like just let me just go back a little bit that's just so for anyone listening to understand so the, the restaurants you were talking about there that freddie was involved with like i always i get it always wrong the lido the lido i've never got it right but so um yeah <laughs> but there, I so but well, i don't think it matters well, but so because i've been to the one because i grew up near um reading and i've been to that one as well so they're lovely restaurants where there's like a, a lovely swimming pool it's gorgeous and Porto yeah. Key. that was one of our favorite restaurants when we first came back to Bristol and that was all on the water, um the yes. spyglass. In fact they're all on it's all very water related. But they're what they are, they're very independent in Bristol, very um unique kind of restaurants aren't they they've got their own individuality right. they are all got their own individuality so then so you so so and for anyone who doesn't know so Little French that opened first and that convenient and very lovely and I just love going past it every day is at the end of the road where I live so we watched you do that and um I mean it was a restaurant before and it was you know it was lovely and then you took it over and it just kind of I mean it's sort of just in our what we saw it transformed in your lovely decorations in the front it would seem very simple but very warm very classy so presumably this is what everything you had been through up until this point and this is where I think it's so fascinating you would lived away you did with your advertising you understood about bringing people together with Freddie's experience as well as being a chef and working in those different types of places you can i think i can really see is that that's what you were trying to create was it this lovely kind of bistro just gorgeous place to come and eat and bring people together
1: yeah absolutely um we wanted so we 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 felt that we wanted to bring something to our neighborhood so like you we live here um <clears throat> and um we wanted to bring a um a french restaurant to our neighborhood just a, a simple unpretentious neighborhood restaurant where you would come for just a quiet bite to eat on a tuesday evening in the same way as you'd like to go to it for a big slap-up meal with your family or friends Mm. um at the weekend um and we had known lots of places like that when we'd been in london together um and we felt that we wanted that just on our doorstep um and so we just it was yeah really kind of organic we just we freddie's first first starting point was his wine list right wine list it was all about the wine and then the food will follow and for me it was about um on a budget because that's what we were working with we didn't go to the bank and ask for loans and do all that stuff we just went with what we had and Mm -hmm. we put a budget in place and we said okay redecorate it make it feel like the kind of space that we think we would like to be in and hope that other people felt the same way about it Mm -hmm. it was a very simple thing um and that was our starting space. So yes, as you say, we literally sanded, painted, did it all ourselves. We had friends who would come, we'd have the kids sleeping on the bonquettes at nighttime after school, working, yeah. doing their homework, grab a pizza, get it in from Prego across the way, mm. friends of ours. And all of that, it was just sort of working together at this thing, like I say, where we said, this is us, this mm. is us, we're going it alone now. Mm. So we kind of really felt that we had to do it ourselves in exactly, without, outside influence really
0: Mm, just do it and amazing because that what you did with with the advertising company when you said there about family Mm -hmm. but it it's got such a it's just got such a feel about it hasn't it but you saw as well how you can you can bring family into business it's it's a way of there's a way of doing it isn't there
1: there is um and also um there's the family that you're born into But there is something, the word family has a a, a broader meaning and actually working with people on a daily basis that you um, love to be with Mm. is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, I think that uh, I stayed in the industry I was in because of the people I was working with. I Mm. had great respect and great love for a lot of people that I was working with. And it's the same thing when we opened Little French and it is the same thing still now. It's those people that you feel you want to be around and they sort of somehow you have that kind of common energy Mm. um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's everything. So we have a lot of staff now, but they all have, I don't know, they're just people that I just really, really like and like Mm. to be around. And uh, hopefully that's how other people feel when they come and eat there.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Well, because so, I mean, first of all, with Little French. So, I mean that, I mean, you're being extremely modest in the way that you're talking about it because yes, it is everything you say, but I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, it's just amazing. It's just been amazing. I mean, it's been when I was looking up, like I found you in so many different places. Obviously, there was the TV program "Remarkable Places to Eat," where we saw um, Michelle Rue come in and eat with Freddie, and I mean that was just incredible. But you've been in, the, I mean, just recently, the te- was it uh, the Telegraph's top. Um, Sexiest restaurants, or was that the or top fifty? Sexiest, you know, yes. the top fifteen restaurants. Yeah. There's Sunday Times. You've had major yeah. reviews. Freddie's been on um, Saturday Morning Kitchen. I mean, it's that it just goes on and on. I mean, it's been so so. What you've done, it sounds so simple, like what you say, but I think it that's what's made it so special because I don't think there are many places like it, are there?
1: Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean. Yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind and we've just been we have been really lucky in that. Um, it started, I think, with Marina O'Clockland coming to see us um, and then uh, I think her daughter was coming to university in Bristol and she just happened to stop by and she wrote a piece. We had no idea. We didn't know. I think we've been open about 10 days or two weeks, um, so we weren't expecting any yeah. any critics or anyone to come through. And then we had a string of critics and it kind of built a little bit of a, a reputation there um and then we had some most wonderful things you know people really coming to us like a destination restaurant we were a neighborhood restaurant and um and that yeah that built and built um and we have our we have our 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 customers who are who come back they're our regulars they're there all the time and then there's other people who will come and speak us out um we've had yeah, we've just been really lucky. And of course, yes, there was the pro- the programme, um, Michelle Rue and Fred Syriax came and it aired on New Year's Eve, oh, sorry, Christmas Eve on BBC Two at eight o'clock in the evening. I mean, we couldn't have asked for a more prime time mm. slot. Mm. And that was during COVID, which obviously that's the big thing is COVID hit eight months after we'd opened our restaurant. So that that was a tricky time because mm. we'd, we'd put everything into it. We believed in it. Things were happening. It was moving in the right direction and then bam covid like for so many people hit and stopped us in our tracks um and then it was navigating a way through that mm-hmm. um but yeah we were, we were we were very lucky that it had built up enough before covid that there was a bit of interest in us and that people were Sticking with us, and yeah,
0: Mm. well, you say that, and again, I know you're being very modest, and I don't because also I speak with friends, but we don't want to like if you listen to podcasts where people are being gushy as well, so I don't want to be too gushy, but I agree with what Freddie says that with the 90% hard work, 10% luck, because you the the reason why that had happened is because your hard work spoke for itself, so it wasn't you know, I think uh, because because I actually that's when I came to interview Freddie for my um journalist job uh, and then a few months later I interviewed you as well but when I met Freddie it was literally the day where the, you know we didn't know if there was going to be furlough or anything like that and I could and we were looking for local businesses and and he saw us which again and you know he's like oh my god like what am I going to do and he was really honest and he spoke to us and he was brilliant and I came away from there and we said do you know what he's going to be all right we know that he's going to be all right because it was just like well do you know what I'm going to do I'm going to do food boxes or I'm going to do something and he had to keep working and both had to keep working so we again we watched as everything sort of shut down and yet there was always a light on in little french there was just always something going on and then we find anyway. The next thing we knew, and again, we're obviously very, uh, very selfishly because this we love this. The next thing we know is that there's a a shop at the end of the uh, at the end of the road, and you're taking that o- over as the little shop, but with, with a bakery. Because I remember him saying to when we were in there, oh, you know, we're thinking about doing a bakery. We're like, oh, that's what we all keep talking about. We'd love to have a bakery here. We'd love, you know, they've got it just we've got, you know, it is just so needed. But so, again, lots of people, yeah. you could just say, do you know what? I, I give up. Oh, this is a nightmare. Why me? All that kind of stuff. But you didn't. You turned it into something, which now, now we're back out there. I mean, my goodness, it's all completely thriving. So I I, I call that hard work, Nessa. I call that hard work. And apologies if anyone's listening thinking I'm gushing.
1: That's very, <laughs> very kind of you. Well. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, it was hard work. No two ways about it. But I think there's a lot of people out there who are working so hard just so so hard to make it through this crazy time that we've been through um and uh yeah there was an element of luck in the sense that we we were actually signing for a new premises and we had literally there was an insurance company involved in it and they'd been dragging their heels otherwise we may have already signed for a new premises for a restaurant and it could have taken us down so that Mm. definitely there was luck there um, instead, we had people every day asking us if they could buy our bread. And we only made 12 loaves a day. And those 12 loaves were for lunch and dinner service. So we knew that people liked the bread. We knew that people wanted it. We had looked at those premises, so um, as well as Bolton Brothers, um, and we'd missed out on it because we needed a change of license. We needed to do all sorts of things. Um, and we'd thought about having a shop that would be a shop associated with Little French and cafe, etc. And then it went away. And then COVID came and the person who was supposed to be going in there was going to be opening a gym. And they said, they, they got in touch with the landlords and said, we can't do it. And so landlords came back to us and we'd been running Little Shop out of Little French. Um, and we just went, let's do it let's do it Mm -hmm. you know diversify restaurants are not as um safe as we had always thought you know we just were in a different mindset Um, we knew that we had incredible suppliers, we knew that the people in the area, the community had said to us, please don't stop doing it, please carry on. Mm -hmm. When this is over, we want to carry on being able to get your bread and your boxes and all your stuff. Um, So you've you've got supply, you've got demand, and then you have opportunity. And that's that key thing, the opportunity. We knew we had a location, a location that we knew in the area that we knew, um, so there we were. I mean, we opened on the 12th of December 2020. Oh, no, <laughs> I mean, that was no. quite something. And, we, you know, we, we, were, we were just like, this is amazing. Yeah. We'd worked yeah. so hard. It was teams of people working through the night, day after day. I mean, we really pushed because we were paying rent um and we needed to start making money um but uh yeah it was it was we look at the pictures of it we had virtually nothing there i mean we just had a table in the middle of a room we would built a whole bakery out the back but we just had a table in the middle of the room where we had some pastries and some loaves of bread and a few random things on shelves and we thought we'd bought so much we had so much stock and obviously compared to now it was nothing but we, we you know we thought we were all in and we pushed and we pushed and we pushed and we pushed and we kept having to evolve and change so
0: yeah it was hard work it I'll was that. <laughs> yeah i well it, I, it we saw it we saw it also what i think is amazing is that because i mean west for anyone listening who doesn't know so we live in um bristol in a little area called westby park which is a very small area and people i i think it's a i think it's a very bra- a brave thing as well a good thing i don't mean but to do something like this completely on your doorstep um you know because you see i see freddie you know cycling around and you and it again i think this is where people listen like your voice yet that that horrible little voice in your head it'd be like oh well what are people going to say what are people going to think and what if we upset someone and what if they they, you know they're thinking you know all those silly voices right I don't know if it's just my voice but I think we do all have no 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 no. no.
1: you're absolutely right and and
0: so how like with you and Freddie like do you do you basically just switch any of that off and you just think go back to that that basis of this is what would we want and let's just be focused and stick to that
1: Yeah, so you have to do a bit of that. I mean, you know, uh, the majority of people are really supportive and say good things, and you do listen, you do read your reviews, you do read, you do listen when somebody has, you know, when they want to criticise and they have something they need to say. Actually, criticism is really, really good if it's coming from the right place. Um, So you have to open yourself up to that. Sometimes it's a bit tricky. Mm -hmm. Um, But Freddie has a very good, again, I would say he's the one who's, he's very good at just having a, a very linear way of looking at something and just going going towards what he he considers to be the right way Mm -hmm. um and sometimes i will say no we really do need to think about other people and what we're doing and obviously to run a business you have to listen to other people because you could you could be completely on the wrong tack um so yeah it's just i suppose it's the balance between the real sort of chef's head who's um yeah he's really kind of niche with his wine and he's got this knowledge and he's got this passion and um and and then there's a reputation that also goes with being a chef and doing it right and then there's someone like me who's about enjoying yourself and bringing like we're saying bringing mm. people together and that's what's going to hopefully also make a business work is that other people will also enjoy what you're doing and not get too niche and not get too you know yeah i don't know what the word is but um
0: yeah.
1: uh, on your own tack yes um so um yeah, you have to hear the voices and you also have to switch them off. I guess it's a bit of both.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's good. And it's amazing because, so somebody, for somebody like me, is I come into the little shop um, because it just suits me because I've got young boys and we don't go out so often. But but then you've obviously got different people who come into the, your, your other restaurant a lot of the time. And again, that's serving a community, isn't it? Because you're between the two places, you're kind of, cro- you're pretty much ticking off everyone's needs. So that's, again, looking at what's around you and seeing what gaps are to be filled.
1: Yeah, yeah no totally totally mm. and again like you say it's that thing of um you know uh doing the thing that you think you'd like and hope that other people will also like it and want it yeah. so we i don't know if I, I i i i might have mentioned to you but we're, we're going through a big change so this evening we're going to be working through the night again at little shop
0: wow. to make big
1: some big changes there so mm. yeah and you're
0: doing <laughs>
1: again and now. that's the thing of of hearing people's voices, customers and staff, and understanding what's not working right, and making the changes you need to make to improve. Uh, okay, I'll wait till our to be
0: continued section. See if I can ask you any more. Okay. but I appreciate. Okay. I, appreciate, <laughs> I really appreciate you doing this podcast when you're going to be up all night. Again, that's inc- that's incredible. Let me uh, let me ask you this before we move in. So obviously, Little French is French. So does this presumably? Do, are you supplying a lot of the recipes, Nessa, from your French background? Does um, is that where the French side of it? I, well, I I hope I won't. Offend Freddie by asking you that, but I'm wondering—is no, that the French, the French influence? No,
1: no. So um, I don't, I don't provide the recipes, but I do provide a critical palate. So I, um, I've grown up with a French family who, like all most French families, really you would never cook anything other than from scratch, and so cooking is part of your life. Um, eating out is part of your life i was mentioning earlier on you know even as a even even as a someone who's doing um work experience the only thing you would be given which would be an absolute travesty if you weren't is luncheon vouchers because you must go out out to a bistro or a brasserie and eat at lunchtime (laughs) maybe even with a glass of wine and that is how you live in france so eating out eating together communing around a table these are the things that life is about on a daily basis and that is how it's always been in my life Mm -hmm. so um going to France, you know, Freddie was actually, uh, so having worked at Moro, and then the Lido, there was a lot of kind of Moorish cooking, so regional, um, Spanish, and uh, Middle Eastern cooking, and being with me, we were always going to France, and my French family were coming here, so it was kind of, you know, I I guess that's the only thing I can say, is that it was really sort of guiding Freddie endlessly towards French food, French food, Mm. and our love of French food, I mean, he's he'd always appreciated it but I think it was that thing of actually you know what we used to see a lot of French restaurants around back in the day and now there's not that many mm. um and there is a place for it uh so yeah that was that it's not my recipes but maybe my um, my love of it yeah. and his grown you know he's grown that way as well oh, over the years yes,
0: what a team do you do you ever cook for him at home when you're at home yeah. do you do you cook for Freddie
1: yeah I do and, I, and um, do you like cooking I, I I, I I do like cooking. I do like cooking. I find it frustrating sometimes because he can make something taste so good. It's just it's so easy for him, um, and for me, I uh, I try, and sometimes I get it right. But again, I'm critical, so I'm critical of myself in the same way as I'm critical of him or or, or anywhere we might go and eat, actually. Um, uh, but yeah, I do I do I do like I do like to cook. Um, what
0: would you have for like a midweek? So you've got three children, and like yes. you know, what would you do? what would you do as just a midweek dish that you would cook for you and Freddie? Really,
1: really easy, really easy, simple stuff. So I would, I love to roast vegetables. I love to get a load of roasted vegetables together and maybe put some quinoa or some brown rice through it. I love to make soups. Um, I'm often roasting meat. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, salads. I love salads. My my most favourite meal will be... um, roasted roasted chicken really usually chicken is my go-to yeah um with lots and lots of different salads
0: nice
1: um so I love um sometimes I would just make a salad the only thing that's a little bit trickier is I have an eight-year-old boy and he's so it has kind of changed how we eat a little bit yeah whereas my girls are 14 and 16 now and all nearly 16 um they're they're easier um he's slightly trickier and I think we've got into that really bad habit of kind of going to the lowest common denominator Right. going with the easy part yeah, yeah. rather than making him eat the stuff Yeah, um, so I like to, I like to make um, I like to make Thai meals mm-hmm. I like to do soups love soups nice. um, especially with the bakery we get a really good loaf of sourdough with some salty butter and a really good soup yeah, one so of my favourite nice. go-tos in fact the, the recipe books I use the most often are the Leon recipe books so you've got One Pot Wonder Happy Soups Happy Salads all of that kind of stuff that's nice um, yeah, so sometimes if it's winter,
0: a lasagna. Yeah, you know I'm. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Would you ever just have beans on toast? Never. Yeah, <laughs> that's no. good to know. It's good to know.
1: Um, I do have like quick and easy stuff from the freezer, like gyoza. Yeah. Um, steam some gyoza. Um, but again, you know, just roasting vegetables, it takes twenty five minutes. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, it's so easy to do and you can do so much with that. Um, whether it's making it into a soup or a salad or accompanying, uh, like again, you know, roast meat or whatever. So no, I, I just know. And I also don't eat baked beans. So oh, again, you know. French mother, yeah. never was I given baked beans as a child. It's like <laughs> alien food. So it's just
0: not in my. Do you think people get nervous invite if you were, to, if when people, your friends invite you to dinner, you and Freddie there, do you think they get a bit nervous? they do they tell us that they do yeah and
1: I and and that's the only time I'd say that I'm really not critical at all because I just think it's so nice to be invited to someone's house and like I was saying you just commune you you're together having a good moment um there's nothing to be nervous about and most of the time when people invite you over for a meal they're you know other than if they're going to say i'm going to try something new i'm going to you'll you'll go to the things that you feel comfortable and confident making yeah um and you're you're not there sort of poking your food around going oh it could have been a bit more salty or whatever you're just there to have a (laughs) a a nice moment with friends so yeah, yeah no. it's Nothing to be nervous about at
0: all. Ah, that's good to know. That is good to know. We had some friends over on Saturday and my husband is very good at most things, but he gets really nervous when he does a barbecue. He gets stressed. So I think the idea of you and Freddie come to our house for a barbecue, if he's listened to this, he'd get like terrified by the idea. But it's good to know that you wouldn't be critical. So that's... uh... (laughs) No, God, no that's a relief that's really so moving on then to be continued now you've sort Ah. of hinted what i mean dare i even ask because i can just i can i can't even imagine what would you like to do next
1: so um well by next we'll start with tomorrow um, we will be um, reopening Little Shop and Pantry as LSP 3.0. So we've we've gone through the first stage, which was the, the COVID stage. Then we went into night kitchen where we brought chefs in to be cooking, um, cooking to order in the evenings. And now we're going to the next stage, which is having chefs in breakfast, lunch and dinner, cooking to order all the way through the day and splitting the business into two sections. So you'll no longer come into Little Shop. So currently we have a cafe bakery yeah um and what's going to happen is that you will come into the deli and if you want to buy anything that is takeaway you will just queue and order there so pastries bread salads, sandwiches quiche whatever it is Mm. that will be happening on the deli side and if you want to go into the cafe which is where currently everything happens that will literally just be to eat in and drink in right um so we're building a counter we're changing everything in the layout um, and we're also, as I say, we've got the chefs coming in at 7 a.m. So they will be cooking breakfast, lunch and dinner. So we've got all new menus. Wow. Um, the evening menu will be very similar to what it is now. But the lunch menu is enhanced with lots of stuff that's on the evening menu and then some other bits and bobs. Um, and then in the mornings, you'll be able to get a much broader variety of, of, of breakfast foods. Um, and also the chefs will be developing all of the kind of um, salads and dips and all of the stuff that we'll be selling out of the deli to take away um so yeah it's it's again big change change. Uh, and we've also got the air con going in at the moment which we've been we've been struggling with temperature control at little shop it's either really cold in winter or really hot in summer so by doing this hopefully we're gonna um, make that a lot better for everybody
0: is this all based on like you said earlier on all on what people in the community are telling you and what what your feel of the place is as well
1: yeah i mean you know i work i work there and i can see that when you want to buy a loaf of bread and you're queuing for 10 minutes to buy a loaf of bread that's just it's just unreasonable there's no there's no there's no earthly reason why you should have to wait that long to just buy a loaf of bread or a croissant Mm. so we have a, a vast space that is in two sections so um the idea now is going to be you have two queues you'll get served quicker your experience there will be better and also the pressure on staff will be less because when you have five or 10 dockets of coffees mm. and you're at that machine and you've been at it for two hours, I can tell you that the that the baristas are sort of the pressure mm. is on. So we've also shifted the coffee machine and moved it so that we can have two baristas on for the really um, for the really busy times. So until now, we only had one um, and they would always be under so much pressure and we sell a lot of coffee. We really do. Mm. So. Um, yeah, it's just making those changes. We've we've recruited some new people in, people who are who are um, who have lots of experience in delis. Mm-hmm. Um, we have new chefs, or rather, some chefs from Little French who wanted to come and have a go over at Little Shop. Um, Freddie's in there at the moment; he'll be working there all week. But you know, on the stoves. Um, We we had to change all the kitchen around. The bakery team are going to be making much more of of all of the bakery goods. So there'll be um, bread and pastries all the way through the day. At the moment, we'd be running out relatively early on certain days because we just couldn't keep up with demand because they were making salads and sandwiches and everything else for Mm -hmm. lunchtime. Um, So all of that, hopefully, will mean that it's more reliable when you come in, you're going to get something. You're not going to go away thinking, oh, well, I missed everything, which is Mm -hmm. no good for anyone. Um, and also, when you come in, you will be served quicker, and you will either be eating or walking away with something in your hand a lot quicker than you would otherwise
0: amazing and and you so tonight, what you'll be doing is this your just you and Freddie like you come up with it do you do you do you just because again okay, this is where i just going back to the beginning when you say most people speak to Freddie, but this is what we've seen that you are you are always there as well, and it's presumably the two yeah. of you do you just you you hang on look yeah. this isn't working how is this good and let's how how are we going to do it and you do you do most of it all yourself
1: yeah we we we, we've you know you you're in tune with what's going on in in your workplace you can see it um and sometimes you're just firefighting just get through the service see but you know after after repeating it and seeing so bringing in the, the 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 chefs in the evening and it being as busy as it's become we can see that people would like to have more of a cook to order offering And because it was only happening in the evening even though we'd set up the the, so if you went into the kitchen you see there's a whole section of the kitchen which is cooking and the section of the kitchen which is bakery um uh and it's actually it's huge the back the back area is about the same size as the front area it's a bit of a tardis in there so we had all this space we had all this equipment but we just didn't have people manning it and if we brought more staff in throughout the course Mm -hmm. of the day we'd be able to change how it was the experience in the front Mm -hmm. um we also have an amazing general manager lily southam who has worked who had worked with freddie at the lido for years and she came and worked she started working with us just started a, a year ago so always Lily and I are always talking about you know the feedback from staff we're always talking about our experience working there ourselves and also what we think we can do to make it better for the customers and always you know feeding back to each other somebody said this some so you were talking about turning that noise off mm. you have to keep it on a lot of the time mm. obviously when you've always going to have people who are kind of you know naysayers or complainers and that that's when you turn it off but most of the time you try and remain receptive to it and see the logic in what they're saying and how you can go about improving things based on the feedback that you get.
0: And that sounds then really with between the two restaurants that whereas it little French started. And then this, as you say, it started like just from doing your food boxes or selling the bread from little French. This is now kind of, you know, on a par with, you know, this is, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a very substantial place, isn't it? It
1: is. It is. wow Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's a successful little business. Um, but it needs to be mm. because um, you have to sell an awful lot of croissants at two pounds or coffees at two fifty or whatever mm. um, to be able to have eight members of staff on at all times of the day, which is what we have. We always have four people in the kitchen and we always have four people front of house, and we're now going to up that. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, you need it. You 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 need to be um, thinking on your feet and being able to evolve and. Yeah, I think we're through COVID. We're through the other side. So now we need to take it to the next level and make it what it can be, what it should be.
0: Yeah, how exciting! How exciting! So, um, so moving on then to your acknowledgements. Who would you like to thank? Who have who has helped you along the way?
1: Um, I don't know that I. You know, I my my, my parents have always believed that I could do whatever I wanted to do they always they from the youngest age told me I could do whatever I wanted to do and I think that's probably why I went and did and travelled and had a go at most anything because I believed that so I think that um, as parents ourselves it's a really important thing to to give to our kids mm-hmm. so I would say yeah. thanks to them for making me believe that whatever I wanted to have a go at that they would support me mm-hmm. um, and that I could achieve it um, um, and obviously freddie Mm. because we're we're a team um husband and wife but also business partners um which uh a lot of people on paper would think is kind of you know um not the easiest but actually it's been really good for us and now today our kids who just you know they just yeah they're our they're our biggest cheerleaders and they they support us and you know, they sometimes they don't get very much of us. Like tonight, you know, they're going to be fending for themselves again. We're neither of us here. We they'll be putting themselves to bed, and
0: it, you know, they yeah, they're they're, they're a huge support and mm. always have been. But going back to like what you were saying, I mean, you were saying that they're obviously taking their studies very seriously, but they must see to have a mum and dad like like theirs, where they're working so hard in in a passion. Because I think this is where lots of people get confused, where where people say oh you work hard but if you're doing, like you said earlier if you're doing something you love that I I just don't see what's like people sort of we say oh you're working really hard that's an amazing thing you're not working is not work as in a chore you're doing something you love for lots of hours of the day yeah for them to see you that you can spend life like that rather than looking at the clock for eight hours a day you're giving them such an amazing lesson
1: yeah hopefully hopefully um, and also like I said, just making them believe in that that you know if you want something enough and you work hard enough at it, you will get to, to where you want to be. Um, we have a lot of fun doing what we do. we love it. we yeah. do, we love it. yeah um, it's we'll it's it's super full-on, it's super tiring. Um, it's not, it's not easy every day, but we love what we do. And the kids get involved in every aspect of it. They really do. I mean, um, our eldest is doing GCSE, so she hasn't this holiday, but um, our other daughter, she's worked up at Little Shop every day this week. She's been over at Little French. She bakes, she cooks, she works front of house. Mm -hmm. You know, they love it. They love getting involved in it. Um, And it's that thing of you can have fun, you you can earn a living, you can have fun, but you have to work hard
0: yeah and I bet they get some good cake as well so it can't be all (laughs) all, all bad it can't be all bad so the final question Nessa um your well you've given so much advice but your advice if someone's listening to this and they're like do you know what again I you know I do want to do something but I know what I'm doing is not right for me. So going back to a little bit when you were working in in PR, um, you know, and comms, and you 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 were you're enjoying what you did, but you knew it wasn't the right thing. You knew it absolutely wasn't the right thing for you. But so if someone's in that situation now and they feel bogged down, and yes, they might have a mortgage, they might have all these sorts of things going on, but they know deep down this, they, there's more to life. What would you say to that person?
1: It's a really hard question because you know I can only go on my own experience and I do think that I've been really lucky um in that I've found a partner to do it with. And I think that there is a, a strong element of team. So, you know, um if if somebody comes along and offers you an opportunity that you're frightened but you feel you want to do, I would say that's where that's where you have to have a go. Um that 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 you know. There's been so many failures, and there will be and and you learn from those, but if you keep plowing towards something and you know something is what you want, then you can find a way through it, however small, volunteer at something, have a go at something, talk to people around you um, yeah i you know I think I wasn't one of those kids at school who knew what she wanted to do, who knew you know i I, I knew I had certain strengths, I had certain abilities, and I knew I had weaknesses. Um, so you find the things that play to your strengths, um, and then when you get to, I, I think having children and taking a natural pause in my career, mm. it led me onto the next thing. So I think also there's a, there's a time for everything. So patience is important. But if you you know if you know what you want to do, you you can find a way there and just don't give up on it. And it sounds really naff and corny, but it, it really is just as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: no, I don't do think make, it sounds nice. Yeah, And when you were saying back before, when like that time when you have the, the, your, your babies in it, you know, that is such a tough time. And I think yeah. I think mothers give themselves a really hard time that they expect to be, you know, flying high at work mm-hmm. at the same time. You know, you, you can't you can't always do it all all at the same time. But I think. Do you not think there, so that was where you came to Bristol and you set up your life in Bristol and Freddie was working in those different restaurants, learning all the time. So then when it was the right time for you, you were ready to go for it then. You you were ready, you know, it was it, it, it perhaps wouldn't have worked with the with the babies quite so young. But that's what I mean, sometimes it's just looking, it's being kind to yourself to say, do you know what, it just might not be the right time now, but actually at the same time when it is starts to be the right time, then you've got to really start thinking, come on, I've got to do this now yeah yeah i think um
1: impatience is tricky because you, you you could you could see it as oh you know i should have I sh-, you know the should monster i should have done this and i should have done that actually um, it's not it's not helpful to think like that so if you if you wait for the right time and i think the right time would it, it it does become obvious when it's right that so obviously you know you can know what you want to do but you're like i just cannot get there right now don't use your energy wishing it was different find a way to get to that place mm. um and yeah when you've got young children people would say to me all the time make the most of it they won't be young for long that time goes past so quickly but you when you're in the thick of it you think my God, this is just, it's so hard, it's endless, and you kind of lose a sense of yourself. And all of those things that happen to, to women when they're young mums, I think certainly, mm-hmm. my experience and people around me that that were honest enough to talk about it openly. Um, but in that, you do so much growing and you do get to know yourself and you also become far more resilient than you ever knew you were. And that is the strength that you can, you can dig into later um after that period of time when you say now is my time now i can do it Um, so yeah be patient and if you know what you want then don't be afraid to to you know i've got friends who are who are going back to uni now to do courses to to learn to to do something that they always wanted to do but they just they went down the wrong path early on or a different path not the wrong path but a different path and they said i want to try this now
0: yeah and that's and just and just so funny to finish off because something that has just struck me this our whole from the very beginning of this conversation all the way with you is that you um have created your own opportunities as well so it's one thing to for someone to come along and say look because i think that's sometimes we're all a little bit guilty of that because you, you think someone's going to come along and they're going to give me exactly what i want but actually mm. it doesn't necessarily work like that and it works the mm. other way well, well what do i want i've got to be honest enough to say it but then i've got to create 8th. I've got to create that world myself and that's obviously something that you, I mean even just from contacting Freddie like you did after the Clapham nightclub but you have created your own, I mean things could have been very different Nessa, very different could and, indeed. And, and the people of Wesley Park would not be very well fed or I mean we've got other lovely restaurants here as well but you know thank goodness you sent that note to him, thank goodness but yeah it's, it's that isn't it, be it in, in romance or be it in work or friendships or whatever, some Sometimes you've you've got to just put yourself out there and go for it yourself and create it don't you a hundred percent put yourself out there go
1: for it a hundred percent I mean that is yes I guess I you know you, 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 you you've said it yourself there it's, it's it's exactly that sometimes though sometimes opportunity isn't there sometimes you just can't do it right now but when you can and when the opportunity is there you have to go for it you mustn't be afraid of failure because, like I say, genuinely, you learn so much from those failures. And actually, most things you can you can you can springboard onto something else. So most of the things that you will learn when things can't go in the way that you might have liked them to, you will get something else as a result of it. And it's that oh, I sound so old when I say it, but doors open and doors close and da All of that, it's true. Yeah.
0: Nessa Bird you have just been a fabulous guest I knew you would be thank you so much for spending the time and talking to me especially when you've got such a big night ahead
1: bless you thank you so much Ellie I've absolutely loved doing it actually so thank
0: you for asking me so there you are Nessa's just gone for it hasn't she and look where she is now exactly where she's meant to be I just love that don't waste your energy wishing it to be different find a way to get to that place and good news if you are listening to this and you do know Nessa and Freddie, you don't need to worry anymore about having them over to dinner now you can learn more about Nessa at their Little French and Little Shopping Pantry websites the links are in the show notes you can keep in touch with me at elliebarkerwrites.com I'd love love to hear from you if you could rate and review this episode well then that would be amazing and may help someone else find their delicious next chapter You're listening to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker, a flowerpot production. And remember, don't waste that energy. Find a way. Nessa thinks you can do it, and I do too. Speak soon.